0: Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, uh, we'll have Leilani Farinas, and uh, she's back. She's from the TRUE Initiative, and she's going to tell us about the upcoming Cloud Innovation Summit. And uh, then we'll be joined by Lance Askelson, and he is the Provost at Shamanad University University. And he's here to talk about the growing interest in generative AI. And, of course, now I want to welcome back to the show Leilani Farinas from The True Initiative. And uh, there's a AWS Cloud Innovation Summit coming up. And, uh, Leilani, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Bert.
0: And I, I had you on uh, along with uh, Christine Secuda just a little while ago, maybe a couple, three weeks ago. Uh, but now the Cloud Innovation Summit is, like, right next door, and that is happening over on, uh, I guess, the convention center on August 1st. But give us a little recap of what the AWS you know, Cloud Innovation Summit is. This is the second year in a row, and uh, what can people expect from this little conference?
1: Well, yes, it is the second year in a row, uh, and it is complimentary and, uh, you know, free of charge for people that do register. Uh, it's Tuesday, uh, August 1st, and it's basically an all-day conference. We're welcoming leadership, um, you know, with a technical background and a non-technical background because there's a lot uh, to learn and there's something for everyone. Uh, we put together a conference that is really focused on, you know, talking about technology, specifically cloud technology that can help um, all sorts of organizations here in Hawaii, um, you know, move towards uh, their digital transformation. And then, of course, the bigger bigger payoff and the bigger purpose, of course, is, you know, for all of our organizations here to have greater agility, productivity, efficiency, and reducing costs so that, you know, we can all thrive and compete on a global level. So there's going to be a lot to take in uh, on August 1st.
0: So you know whether you're a small business or a large business uh, there's a there's a cloud solution for you
1: there is so uh, the good thing about it is we've expanded uh, the offering for this year so last year was private public and nonprofit mm-hmm. uh, this year uh, we've added in the defense sector as well so you know the idea really is to put together everyone all in the room and create a day of, of sharing and and use cases so, uh, some of the break, breakout tracks that we have in the afternoon, which will go from 1 to 4 p.m., uh, we've we've organized it into different topics, so depending on what you're interested in. For the technical folks, uh, there's a technical track. Um, for um, the, the business owners and, and people more on the business side of things, um, we have a business track, so we'll talk about solutions that can help them operate more efficiently. And then for those um, that are looking to pivot or would like to upskill, we actually have a workforce enablement track. So you can actually learn about the different certifications and, and courses and, and things that are out there um, if you'd like to learn more.
0: So you um, you got my interest there in, I, got, I wanted to ask you about some small business stuff, but you know, workforce enablement, what is it that you're looking to help do, help people understand, like you said, what certifications might be available, how they might upskill, how they can Perhaps find a job in this uh, cloud arena.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, for the for the um, workforce development track, we actually have the the afternoon tracks. They all have four sessions you can choose from. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, there's education. If you're an employer or you're a leader, uh, there's a session about the types of education and training that's available out there um, with transitioning to the cloud. Um, for those that are are leading a team and you're looking to have them upskill um, there's a session on training your existing workforce mm-hmm. um, there's another one more aimed at the future workforce so if you're a student at UH, uh there's um, there's a professor joining us Dr. Salvatore Arigema from UH mm-hmm. talking about how UH is moving into the space and then um, there's also I think the last session is super important Is the idea of digital transformation and lifelong learning, and I I think I mentioned it last time, but I don't think there's anyone that can claim to ever be an expert because technology is is changing so much. One of the things that we all have to embrace is this idea of lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. That no matter what, to keep up, you really have to seek out the information and learn and learn from places like YouTube or LinkedIn. You know, it's impossible to keep up and and to know everything. So. Just embracing that idea of lifelong learning is, is I think, going to dispel a lot of um, intimidation, because not everyone is going to know everything. It's, it's impossible.
0: So, Leilani, you know, when if you're a small business, let's say you, you um, uh, have a, a, let's say a jewelry shop, or you're, you're, uh, doing, um, you know, T-shirts or something. How, how, how would you suggest they look at this opportunity for cloud? And, and the idea here is that you know, it's not like stacking up a bunch of computers in your business and and doing it from your desktop, but leveraging the Internet and accessing some of these applications that are now resident in the cloud. And the cloud could be a data center that's on Oahu. It could be a data center that's located on the the continent somewhere. But these data centers are what serves up those uh, applications. What would you Mm -hmm. say to a small business that might – you know, not it, it wouldn't be necessarily obvious to them that they would need to transition to the cloud.
1: Right. So on the, on the business track side of things, uh, we have uh, a bunch of um, actually local use cases and leaders that are speaking to that. So there's a session with First Hawaiian Bank. Now, of course, they're a big company here mm-hmm. in, in Hawaii terms. But the content around that session is really going to be focused on how they actually built their team and developed their team in the last several years going from analog and how they operated before into now um, a digital team. So basically how you can go from, you know, how you how you were normally operating into more of a digital first type mentality. And, you know, Ben Schuster, who's going to be speaking, is going to talk about how he took that department, um, you know, moving into to their digital transformation and how he did that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be exact, but you're going to take some inspiration from it and see how he did it. Um, there's another one on um, uh, improving a customer experience. This is, you know, in particular, a specific product that mm-hmm. AWS has. Mm-hmm. And this one I have experience with because I've done a couple of sessions, but this, this product is actually scalable and, and applicable to businesses of all sizes, including small businesses. So yeah. there's, there's a lot uh, that, you know, even, even small businesses in all sectors can, can take away from this conference.
0: So this is a free uh, day conference. Where, Leilani, can people check it out and register?
1: People can go to Eventbrite, and they can just uh, put in Hawaii Cloud Innovation Summit 2023, and they should be able to register. I forgot to mention, you know, the first part of the day is going to be all inspirational keynotes. Um, So I welcome everyone to come and attend. It starts at 9 a.m.
0: Sounds good. I shall be there. Leilani, mahalo for joining us.
1: Thanks, Bert. Thanks for having me.
0: And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Lance Eskilson, And he is the provost over at Chaminade University. And we'll talk about the growing interest in generative AI. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. And, of course, I'm happy to welcome Lance Al- Al- Askelson. And he's the provost over at Shamanad University. Welcome to the show, Lance.
2: Thank you, Bert. Very happy to be with you.
0: And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Uh, it's always interesting to talk about some of these latest technologies. And, and of course, you know, a lot of people, whether it's in the media or even the uh, colleagues, are talking about things like ChatGPT and generative AI. And, and maybe just for the sake of level setting, um, maybe tell us a little bit about what, you know, We've often heard of just AI, artificial intelligence, but what is generative AI?
2: Great question, Bert. There's a lot of misunderstanding about ChatGPT and BARD and similar generative AI technologies. At their core, they are something called large language models. You may have heard this Mm -hmm. uh, in discussion of these technologies. And large language models are just what they sound like. They're uh, enormous databases of hundreds of millions of examples of language use that have been crawled and analyzed by algorithms that have been built into these technologies, into these so-called artificial intelligences. And so what ChatGPT does is it reconstitutes language based on a set of algorithms which are basically rules or prompts for a set of procedures to to solve a computational problem, and it operates those uh, under the context of language. So if you ask a a WH question, it will trigger a particular algorithm for a what, a why, a where, and it will then interpret each word that is produced and the structure of that query, that input, in order to uh, output a meaningful response or a seemingly meaningful response. Mm -hmm. And it's really a a leap forward in technologies that have existed for a very long time. Uh, I'm a a professor of linguistics. And in linguistics for 50 years, we've had something called corpora, which are, you know, just databases on someone's computer that they query with simple computer programs to find matching words or matching phrases. And as that technology has evolved, uh, we've gotten technologies that you recognize, like autocomplete, uh, chat. Uh, chat uh, uh, bots on you know customer service websites. Mm-hmm. This is a leap forward, obviously, but I think people need to understand that it, it is not, in fact, a learning intelligence. It's refining its algorithms, but it's really just a much more sophisticated version of some of these technologies that we're more familiar with, at least at least at this point in time.
0: And and you you made an excellent point there about your your sort of entry or perspective on this subject uh, coming at it from a linguistic standpoint and I think what is so interesting to me is that you know we've sort of seen the evolution of this where you know you have uh, sort of natural language queries and and uh, autocorrect and you know you sort of get the idea that if if the computer if you're in an application like gmail and it sort of completes the sentence for you Something's happening on the on the back end that's uh, analyzing what would be the most probable completion of that sentence. But now this is taking it to a whole nother level of actually taking a natural language query and, and, and you know writing a pretty good uh, uh, response in the form of perhaps many paragraphs.
2: Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Well, and that's um, a particular concern for me as provost of a university, mm-hmm. because one of the chief, um, you know, utilizations of ChatGPT has been to produce large pieces of text, sometimes essays, and there's some legitimate concerns around uh, issues of plagiarism and, and just academic integrity. But the truth is that um, pedagogical interventions like those we, we use here at Chaminade University can really um, obviate the need to to search for plagiarism. So all you have to do is make sure that students have a process-based approach to writing to avoid some of those pitfalls. And in fact, ChatGPT and those technologies can be incredible research tools. So one of the principal means by which uh, many universities, including our own, are starting to use ChatGPT is to do things like annotated bibliographies, to um, automatically search the Internet, pull uh, sources that then the students, or in some cases the researchers, use to further Uh, interpret and then construct their own persuasive essays or their own research essays. But the broader issue that you raise is one of really an understanding of the limitations of generative AI in its current forms. So um, whether it's ChatGPT or some of its competitors, they are all limited by the data, the textual data upon which they are trained. Now we don't know exactly all of the training materials, but there have been some investigative reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times that have really laid bare some of these databases, and there are hundreds of millions of uh, textual examples that these technologies have been trained upon, and so they're very convincing in producing, uh, you know, sophisticated language up to five paragraphs in length. Mm-hmm. The problem is they're not producing anything new. So they're not actually creating anything that they haven't been trained upon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the chat GPT of today can never be the Pythagoras of ancient uh, Greece in creating the Pythagorean theorem mm-hmm. of, you know, it, Establishing Euclidean geometry. It can't be the Noam Chomsky of the 1960s, you know, helping us to discover new ways of thinking about language and universal grammar. It can't even be a creative, you know, poet or songwriter. It doesn't have the ability to do those creative things. And so that's a very important limitation uh, that we encourage our students here at Chaminade and we encourage the public to keep in mind as they start to use these technologies.
0: Now <clears throat> um I've you know I've got a bunch of questions <laughs> and <laughs> and but I you know what you've uh, kind of opened the door to is is the huge resource of of uh, textual knowledge base that's out there that these uh, systems are learning from. Indeed. and And you know, you had chat chat GPT, and I understand chat GPT four uh, perhaps has a more, let's say, refined uh, a data pool to, to draw from. Uh, what? How would you describe the difference between, they say say, ChatGPT three and four? And and is there any sense on, on from your perspective on how um, curated some of that information is, and and to minimize perhaps some of the the, the disinformation or the um, oh. sort of the the, the negative. Uh, uh, um, Textual responses or references to uh, things that are that are out there, perhaps even you know false uh, information that might uh, you know sort of permeate through through the web.
2: Uh, therein lies the rub. I think that is one of the really leading legitimate concerns about about all of these new generative AI technologies. It's what is the accuracy uh, accuracy of the information that's being uh, uh, provided in these outputs of algorithms, the the truth of the matter is, you asked a very important question. What's the difference between these these different iterations of Chat GPT? We've heard a lot about Chat GPT 3.0, 3.5. 4. the truth is. No one outside of the programmers that have created Chat GPT actually know there was a, a commitment by um, chat gpt 's parent company to share the algorithms the training algorithms that they 've used to create that uh, that model and Although some information has been shared, uh, most of it is quite opaque, and so we don 't know precisely what the algorithms are, how they've been trained to sort out disinformation. What we do know through, um, you know, evidence-based experimentation, researchers going in and querying chat GPT and getting a lot of inaccurate information. It's been in the news quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing is a week ago, Stanford published a very rigorous, uh, not a meta study, but an example examination of some recent research uh, in a single paper looking specifically at chat GPT and the difference between 3.0 and 4.0. And they've actually determined that it's gotten less accurate on certain computations. And what's surprising is those computations are mathematical you would think that those would be the easiest to account for with their algorithms so uh, while they have tweaked it and make it made it more refined perhaps in you know its linguistic diction or perhaps some other features that, that we're not necessarily capturing what we have seen and what the Stanford paper uh, substantiates is that it's less sophisticated I mean even very simple computations uh, their, their litmus test was asking chat GPT to determine whether a number was a prime number or not. This is a very straightforward linguistic computation, and it dropped from 80% accuracy to only about 12% accuracy between those two iterations of ChatGPT. So again, what we don't know about the underlying architecture of this technology is concerning, but it's undoubted, it's, it's... clear that this offers tremendous potential to make work more more efficient, to make uh, research more efficient, to make education more efficient, but it has to be harnessed in a very intentional way.
0: You know, there's, uh, there's the whole issue around, uh, you know, the curating of that information, but necess- curating doesn't necessarily eliminate biases or whether something is uh, considered ethical or not ethical. I want to hold that thought <clears throat> because I do want to continue that, 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 that train of, of conversation that we started. We'll be right back after this, after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Lance uh, Askelson. And um, he's a provost over at Chaminade University. We're talking about regenerative AI and chat GPT. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training.
0: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR One. I'm Bert Lum. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Lance Eskelson, provost at Shamanad University. And we're talking about generative AI and Right before the break, uh, you know, we we're talking about the these large, huge databases that are the knowledge base that uh, becomes the learning tools for some of the, you know, generative AI um, uh, platforms like uh, ChatGPT. Uh, let's say 4.0. And then when it comes to, let's say, a particular bias or perhaps uh, things that are are on the border of uh, what might be ethical or not ethical, how does that Sort of weigh into the collective knowledge that these uh, systems are training training on, and and who's who's in the position to let's say influence or correct any of that.
2: Indeed. Those, those are the critical questions, and the, the reality is that the technology as it currently exists will continue to be refined, it will continue to evolve, it will become more and more sophisticated at uh, the accuracy of the query. But the question you pose is really one of, of ethics and of judgment, and that is exactly why uh, it's critical that human beings remain at the center of the utilization of whatever these artificial intelligences or so-called artificial intelligences are producing so even if uh, a response is technically accurate um, as, as you know full well there, there are literal interpretations of, of questions and then there are, there are you know judgments that you can make about whether that's true or that's meaningfully true so in a court in a court of law, for example, it's not uncommon for the opposing counsel to object to a statement, a query that a human being responds to because it's misleading. And that can be intentional or it can be an unintentional. A, a generative AI can do much the same thing. I think as we, as we think more broadly about the future of artificial intelligence and its role in producing, uh, you know, more accurate results, I think undoubtedly it's going to be increasingly uh, a context within the workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recently published an op-ed a few months ago in the Chicago Tribune, and it was really a response to the, I think, alarmist views that chat GPT or other generative AIs are going to replace teachers, writers, journalists. And while there certainly are functions within everyone's job, anybody who uses a computer will have certain functions of their job that could be automated or made more efficient by artificial intelligences like these, it most certainly should not replace those roles and those human uh, judgments in deciding what is not just what is the accurate information, but what's the right information to really you know, share in a particular context. If you're a teacher, you need to understand not just what you know what the definition of a particular concept is. You need to understand a student's ability to engage with that concept. You need to understand their state of mind, their socio-emotional preparation to um, uh, start to incorporate that concept into their worldview, into their understanding of the world around them. These are very sophisticated implications for learning and human development, and it extends to many other roles, journalists, writers. Anyone who's using text has to make judgments about their readers, their interlocutors, the Mm -hmm. people to whom they are communicating. And uh, an artificial intelligence doesn't have the agency to do that. It doesn't have... The mind to do that it doesn't have the heart to do it, and so that's that's the the truth of the current state of the technology and I don 't see any evidence that it, it will evolve anywhere beyond those limitations it'll become more sophisticated in its accuracy, but human beings will always need to be at the center of those activities
0: right I mean you cannot uh, replace creativity and innovation with uh, exactly. <laughs> with with AI and you know, being a college professor and, and working with students, I I hear it in in your responses that you want them to embrace this and, and perhaps as a as a professor you know guide students in a in a best practice of how to best utilize this new technology.
2: Exactly right. We uh, we would not be doing our jobs well here at Shaman University if we were not preparing students to engage and utilize these technologies in the service of of good things, in in the service of a greater good. And I think, um, again, human beings have created so much information, so much text. Just look at the internet. Mm -hmm. We can't make sense of it all as individual human beings, but these technologies can help us mine and organize and categorize all of that wealth of human knowledge in ways that um, will help us solve problems we haven't even begun to uh, question yet. And I think with the current climate crisis and so many other you know, impending natural phenomenon that are dependent on highly complex ecosystems and really complicated uh, qualitative issues, not just mathematical computations. Technologies like these and the students and the future workforce that will deal with these problems are going to have to know how to query the, the AIs, but they're also going to have to know how to interpret the outputs. And so I think that's the exciting thing for me as a college professor, is introducing these technologies. They're, they're still very nascent, but helping students to understand their role in not just guiding them in terms of asking questions, but then interpreting and evaluating what is spit out of these technologies, what is, what is produced as a result of their queries. And that's where, again, we keep the human being at the center, and we're given the opportunity to um, really guide the future ourselves in ways that are ethical and intentional.
0: Now, Lance, uh, if I take your class, can I then get certified as a prompt engineer? <laughs>
2: We have not created that major yet, but it, it could be on the horizon. I think everyone is asking themselves that question: What are the future, um, you know, majors or, or career titles that we need to start thinking about now to put our students and, and our young people in the in the right position to be successful? Well,
0: you know, that's going to be, I think, uh, a great opportunity. I'm already seeing uh, posts for these uh, <laughs> prompt engineers. So <laughs> I, I'll keep track of uh, what Shamanad, what kind of uh, curriculum changes might uh, revolve around generative AI. So I, I really appreciate uh, all that you've just shared with us. Now, uh, from from a, a listener standpoint, where can people find out more about the, the work that you're doing? And, and uh, maybe you can provide a, a, a bibliography of some of the uh, pieces that you've written.
2: Absolutely. Well, they could just go to shamanad.edu, and if they click on the News tab, find a number of articles related to some of these issues. And uh, we're not the only university, obviously, working on this. We work with our colleagues across uh, the state of Hawaii, across the nation. But I, I really encourage the public to, to stay informed.
0: Very good. I'll put that uh, link up on our show notes. Lance. Askelson is the provost over at Chaminade University and a great resource to talk about uh, generative AI. And, of course, I want to thank you, Lance, for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Bert. Aloha.
0: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll hear about the Sea Grant Program and Indigenous Science. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, you can find me all over social media at Bite Marks. Your, uh, of course, our engineer is David Chung. You can catch us on HBR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HBR app, iTunes, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.